Oh, oh, PC. Hey, hey that's, that's cool. cool. You got a podcast? Well, I didn't, I didn't know, know that. that. Oh, that's cool. Now you do. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are back. Oh, that's cool. OTC's very own podcast on all of the amazing people we work with right here at Ozarks Technical Community College. I'm Jared Durden, and with me as always is uh, Andrew Crocker coming to you somehow late in June. We were talking about before we started recording how quick this summer's been going for at least you, a little bit for me. My summer has been normal speed except for the vacation, the vacation itself. Very, for some reason, when you're spending time on a beach, time doubles in speed. It's like after a couple hours on the beach, it's already it's 5 p.m. and you got to start packing in. My preferred vacation, though, if you if I get on the beach for at least a couple days, I it just it's like wiping my slate clean and I I feel refreshed. Can I bring something up that we talked about in our last interview with Caitlin Schumacher? I've been thinking about it a lot Uh since we've been talking about it. Because today is June 24th. I will allow our audience who is listening to this in the future to look back and figure out what major national story happened today on June 24th. But it made me think of something we were talking about with Caitlin Schumacher. Because we talked, since she is an adjunct here, but also works in local news. One of the questions you and I kept coming back to was, why do people blow over local news? But they're obsessed with national news. And I think I have a theory, and I want to test it against you, sir. Please. I think we care about the national news because national news tends to be about our principles and our beliefs, what we want to see happen, without having to worry about the granular details. Because the granular details of how to put our beliefs into action tend to be handled at the lowest level, at the states and at the local level. They have to worry about the minutia of how we're going to take these broad things that we believe or don't believe and put them into action. Now, we know nothing about how to put stuff in action. We don't dive into the details very often, but we all glob towards these very broad categories of our beliefs. And we want to see America look more like those beliefs. And I think that's why local news is less attractive because it's less about grand pronouncements of your society and more about, okay, so we got such and such money. How are we going to spend it for these centers versus these community outposts and so on? Whereas national news is all about these people are coming for your country. These people are looking to turn your rights upside down. What do you think? Do you think national news is more attractive primarily because it can be more grandstandy than local news? I am going to agree with you and take it to one step further psychologically. I think because at the granular level, your beliefs then are actually tested. So in the if you're listening to the local news and something comes up, it's actually actionable for you because it's in it's near you, right. it's close to you. You actually have some stake in it. Yeah. And when it's grandstanded at a national level, it's easier to ju- all you have to do is agree, right, or disagree. Yeah. And so it's, I think it's a little more comfortable to have that distance than it is to actually think about it as I was thinking back to even to tie this into a third subject which was the the school board elections we had back in April we had a couple candidates when school board is very detail oriented but the candidates that won kind of ran on broader more headliney type ideas rather than here's what we're going to do in the foundational level and it made me think of like 
our interview with Caitlin, who was great. Thank you, Caitlin, if you're listening for, for wasting an hour with us. Because obviously we had a major national news story today. A bunch of things are about to change. But we don't know how exactly the changes that we've seen today are going to be enforced on a local, on a daily basis. Because that's going to present so many quandaries and the minutia that you and I never think about. I guess I should say the broader public doesn't think about. We think about how we feel about a particular topic, but we don't feel like we don't have a, <laughs> we don't have a good understanding of what these local and state level folks do to take our national broad beliefs and turn them into granular local ideas. That's one of the reasons why I think local news struggles compared to national news and just kind of a broad commentary on what we're going through right now. And this is why you're in political science. Yes, it is. Which, matter of fact, that's why I'm dressed up today. So we have, I'm interviewing a couple candidates for a race today. Hey, so. Where can people uh, see this? Uh, so I'll just be clear. I am a part of a. Co- uh, uh, I represent two different organizations um, within a coalition that the League of Women Voters are hosting. And the League of Women Voters have thrown together ten to twelve nonpartisan organizations throughout the Ozarks. Some of them include colleges like Drury. Missouri State, and OTC. And Kara and I, since we are essentially the politics department, the political science department at OTC, we handle OTC's representation in that coalition. Matter of fact, Kara interviewed three, two or three candidates for a House seat a couple days ago. I am also representing a nonprofit that I'm a director of Be Civil, Be Heard, which is a nonprofit here in uh, here in. Uh, the Ozarks, that encourages and facilitates civil discussion on political topics. Um, Anyway, so as the director, I get to interview uh, Lincoln Huff and Angela Romine, who are both in a Republican primary since we have primary elections coming up in early August. Man, this is, I hope the people listening care about this as much as I do, because poof. Anyway, so uh, Be Civil Be Heard no longer has an official website, but we do have a Facebook. Also, my interview will be airing in KSMU in mid-July during the lunch hour. KSMU is going to be airing every single interview for like a week or two. And mine will be one of those interviews as well as NAACP conducted one, Leadership Springfield conducted one, Legal Women Voters themselves conducted one, KSMU themselves conducted one, and so on. So keep an ear out on KSMU for Be Civil, Be Heard and yes. keep an eye out on Facebook for Be Civil, Be Heard. That's correct, yes. And 91.1 as well because that's where that's all going to be aired. The newsleader is a part of our coalition. I just keep mentioning organizations but yeah so the reason we are here today we have brought on a very special guest uh with us is uh uh director of human resources oki haas welcome to the program yay thank you for having me i'm excited yes and we are too we've been hunting you for a month or two now we finally got you in the room how's it feel you're you're looking around it feels very podcasty in here doesn't it yes it does (laughs) a lot of wires plugs and buttons yeah okay uh well Oki, it's so great to have you here. First of all, before we get into the big, before we start pelting you from every direction with everything we could think of, you're such an interesting person. What do you do here? How long have you been doing it? What's your position? My position is to basically oversee the human resources department uh, with all of the functions that we do, uh, such as uh, recruitment, of new employees uh, to fill the positions that gets vacated or, or new positions that are created, um, faculty and staff, basically, and employee benefits, 
and payroll, uh, employee relations, uh, just to name a few. And basically, we exist to support OTC and take care of our employees, basically, so that our employees are taking care of our number one customers, which are our students. And the number of employees that you take care of is a lot broader than some of us might think. Clearly, faculty, staff, administration. But you talk to, you deal with, I would imagine, work study people, any part time workers, yes. any student workers. Um, all, do you deal with all campuses or just the Springfield campus? All campuses. Mm-hmm. We are um, centralized HR for entire college. Would you describe the position as, um, you know, human resources is murky. You have to do, you have to, this is a, you are a perfect example of actually what Jared and I were talking at the top here of taking broad concepts of what the college wants to accomplish. And you're the granular detail person. You have to put all of that into, um, is that, what phrase would you use for that? Is that enjoyable? Is it rewarding? Is it difficult? Describe what it is like to have that position. All of the above. (laughs) Uh, Definitely, I think uh, anyone who uh, goes into human resource profession, (coughs) excuse me, I think they would have to like working with people. Uh, If you don't, you probably shouldn't be in human resources. So I would say yes, uh, it's very pleasurable and Uh, satisfying to work with people but then uh, people are complex and there you know sometimes difficult issues arise among people or uh, uh, from individuals and sometimes dealing with those issues are difficult is there something in the human resources purview and your job and what uh, human resources are responsible for that would surprise people I think all of the details that are involved in hiring someone all the way to uh, putting them in their position and making sure that they have everything that they need to start working. Uh, I think all of those details that are involved, uh, some are um, um, government mandated, you know, uh, situations where we have to comply with certain regulations. Uh, I think people probably are surprised if they find out all the details that are involved and a mass amount of changes that seems to happen all the time. Um, Can I um, contribute to your answer here a little bit? Because you and I worked together not that long ago. Um, I don't think anybody outside of the people who participated might be aware that OTC's HR hosted a series of book clubs not that long ago. <laughs> yes. What was the impetus behind that? Why would HR <clears throat> be interested in having numerous people across OTC participate in various book clubs? Um, that was a part of a one grant uh, activities that we uh, uh, hosted. And probably the main focus of that is um, wanting to promote mental health you know you hear a lot about how the last couple years of dealing with pandemic and all of the implications that went along with that have impacted you know uh, people's mental health in the workplace especially and uh, i think this grant 
uh, is primarily focused is suicide prevention, um, but uh, you know, mental health uh, is directly uh, related to you know suicides and uh, promoting and co- wanting to make sure that our employees feel connected and that they experience sense of belonging. Uh, those are work into uh, helping employees feel, excuse me, <clears throat> um, you know, happy in the workplace. Um, maybe they feel a little more um, that somebody care about them or, you know, they feel like they have uh, someone they could count as a friend or someone who would listen to them. So, uh, you know, we felt like uh, hosting a book club like that, especially around the topic of someone who experienced um, difficulty and overcome it, um, that that was a very valuable activity. And we appreciate you, Andrew, for hosting. Uh, and and several club. others as well. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yes. So let's kind of get into every single person who has any familiarity with you whatsoever. And I had mentioned, yeah, well, Oki Haas, we're chatting with Oki Haas before long. They're like, you have to talk about this. First of all, let's cover the basic. How long have you been in your position? Uh, just over three years. And can you walk us through a little bit of your autobiography here sure. as to how your, where your upbringing was and what brought you to Springfield, Missouri as HR director? Okay. Um, I don't want to uh, go into a long detail, but uh, I grew up in a country of Korea uh, and people ask is it north or south? And yeah. I always tell them south. Yeah. If you're in North Korea, you cannot get out. You know. <laughs> I can see you doing a sprint across the de- de- <laughs> demilitarized yes. zone. <laughs> yes, exactly. But anyway, I grew up in a small country village in Korea uh, until I was age 15. And uh, then I immigrated to the United States. And of all places, I ended up in South Haven, Mississippi. And... Uh, I was high school age, so my parents put me into high school. And even though I have taken some English classes uh, in junior high in Korea, I mean, learning some grammars and ABCs did not help you learn how to communicate in English. So I basically was not able to communicate, uh, speak the language, so I had to learn. And um, a counselor there at the high school was very instrumental in um, providing me with the tutor, uh, which was another student. And she and I basically sat in counselor's office, uh, you know, just really basic, like, what color is this? And, you know, uh, so that's how I learned to speak English. And um, when you're immersed in a new culture and you are forced to... uh, integrate and uh, have to immerse, you, you learn quickly. So uh, after about a year, I could start to communicate. And so from there, um, I went, I attended uh, a college here in Springfield, uh, the one that's no longer existing. It's a, a Central Bible College. Yeah, CBC, sure. Yes, CBC. I learned uh, through my church uh, in um, South Haven area to uh, about the school so I came there because they provide a small scholarship and that's how I came to first came to Springfield and then uh, after I graduated from that college 
went to many different places. Uh, like lived in Maui for a year, which was wonderful. Sure. Uh, lived in Florida, California, just different places. And then um, I came back to Springfield about back in 1989 and uh, eventually ended up working at Evangel uh, in their uh, HR, quote, HR department. It, uh, they didn't have an established HR department yet, but uh, working with the employee benefits. Uh, Went to work there back in 2001 and um, ended up establishing an HR department over there and uh, just uh, enjoy working uh, for many years. And then uh, back in 2019, uh, I applied for a position here because uh, there was a position open uh, for head of HR. So my, my favorite thing about your story is that there are about eight different pit stops in there where I could we could have a half hour conversation <laughs> each. Let me ask you real quick. South Korea, per- perfectly advanced, westernized culture. What was the impetus? Was it just work? What was the impetus that brought your family to America? It's more of a family reasons. Um, back when I was living there in the country village, uh, the conditions were uh, almost third world countries. Mm. Uh, we didn't have electricity. Uh, we had outhouses. And this, I'm sorry, this was what Back dec- in what if you don't 1972. mind? 1972. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so I grew up in a very so third world country condition. We are post-war couple decades in at that point. Yes, okay. yes. Um, in the city, like, like Seoul, you know, they had all of those modern conveniences, but definitely not in a big part of Korea still. was. Um, but the family reason for coming here, basically my mom had um, married a GI after my biological father, uh, and she had a, a split uh, together. And at the time in Korea, if a marriage ended, usually the father got the automatic custody. And so my father had the custody and had legal authority over me and my mom could not bring me at the time that she was uh, uh, shipped back with her new husband to United States. And so I had to basically wait and so back in 72, my, my father had passed away, and so my mom had the opportunity to be able to apply for a, a adoption, um, and that's how I ended up coming to the United States. Oh, uh, clearly the language barrier, probably the number one thing that made it difficult to integrate. Language Aside, and culture. I was about to say, could you be Huge more specific difference. when it comes to cultural integration? What, in your opinion, was the major challenge there, aside from language? If you have had any kind of, um, like, research or, you know, exposure to Asian culture, you know, Asian culture is very distinct and different than Western culture. And so it was just very different. Um, Growing up in Korea you know, ha, uh, going to school. Uh, we went to school six days a week. You know, and 
um, Monday through Saturday. And, and, and what, 11 months a year? Like, what is it? Uh, not, not eight months a year like it is in America. Yeah, I think we have like a month break during the summer. Yeah. And then uh, maybe another month during the winter break. But school was basically all year long. And um, just growing up in Korean culture, I mean, is very different. And especially uh, in the uh, the count, uh, third world country kind of uh, background, you know, we walked everywhere. Uh, no one had a car in the village. And even bicycles were, like, I didn't know how to ride a bike until I turned uh, 16 <laughs> here in the United States. And you should have seen me trying to learn the bike, mm. learn how to ride ride a bike around my neighborhood. Uh, just everything is so different. You know, our culture, uh, it's, it's hard to explain. When I came to uh, Mississippi, the the busing was uh, in place at the time, and so they were busing this uh, numerous African American students from another part of Mississippi to South Haven area because South Haven area was uh, predominantly white mm -hmm. area, and so I was seeing the uh, this clash of you know two different groups uh, mingle in United uh, in the high school and. Here I was, one Asian person yeah. in the entire high school. Just I felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb, you know. Is it is it not? Is that we are very melting pot? We pride ourselves um, about being a melting pot, which I I don't feel is totally accurate because if you spend any time in America, you'll notice that different cultures, different races, kind of create their own mini communities. Um, do they not have that? In South Korea, I know no. you were not there for part of your youth, but is South Korea very homogenous? Where you kind of all look and are the same? Yes, pretty much. Yes. What's your experience with Asian culture? How have you? Yeah, have you been to Asia, Jared? Have you been to? Uh, have you spent uh, time around Asian communities? When I was at Drury, we went and taught. Uh, I went. I went on a, uh, a college trip to. We went to India and we went to Thailand. Yeah, and I was there for about about a month. I've been to the airport in Seoul. <laughs> I feel like we got to be very but, careful when we talk about Asian communities. You should do this when you talk about South Americans and Latin Americans because those those countries are radically different. Just like European countries are very different. Uh, India and Thailand have nothing in common. They're both Asian countries, different. but they are very completely different. different. And same thing, I imagine, with Korea. I mean, Korea. We often us being Americans, we sloppily associate South Korea with Japan and, and, and often China. China. But that very different cultures, very different belief systems, very different, I don't know, everything, would you yes. say? Yes. I appreciate, too, that, you know, when you're asked a question like, well, how do these two things compare? That's a really hard question to, to answer and communicate uh, just because it's, it's not only a matter of experience, but there's a history and an overall kind of worldview that, that, from my understanding, is very different too. Yes, I would say so. And uh, even, you know, even in languages, I mean, yeah. Chinese, Japanese, and Korean, they're completely different. And you know what? This is so funny. My, this is complete 
Americanized ignorance of culture here. I was, comp- I have been my entire life, and I even like my uh, closest friend in high school was Singaporean, but still. I went almost my entire life completely ignorant of the fact that Asian languages all sound very different from each other until I saw an Asian comedian, Ken Jeong, do a bit where he was like, here in America, it's very hacky to do white people are like this and black people are like that. But that's what he was doing. He was like, Korean people are like this, as he is Korean. And who is he making fun of? He's making fun of his wife, who I think is uh, uh Vietnamese. So he was doing a bit like Koreans are like this and Vietnamese are like that. And the languages, as he was using them side by side, are radically different. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we get so little contact with that here in America that sometimes it all sounds kind of stereotypically the same to us. Is it disheartening to you, the degree of ignorance that Americans clearly have about Eastern Asia? You, you don't know what you don't know, you know? So I feel like it's more of an exposure. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, sometimes I, it, it, what's disheartening to me is if someone had a bias against someone because, uh, because of their ignorance. Uh, you know, just the ignorance itself, that can be fixed by, you know, learning about, you know, other culture or learning about someone. But if you automatic, automatically have this bias against someone because, because you don't know or, you know, uh, then that, that is disheartening. I, I feel like everyone should have that open mind and, you know, when, when, they're, uh, when they come across someone that they don't know, you know, they should have that curiosity and the interest to want to learn about them before having any kind of judgment or assumption about them. And the time you were coming of age in Mississippi and in other parts of the country, other parts of the world, let's go back, miss, let's go back to high school. And you say it's, high school is socially segregated, not just by race, but race certainly one of the ways. And there are you, the one Asian student. Do you feel that your status standing out in that regard was more of an isolating factor or maybe gave you the skills to kind of meet people on their own terms a little bit better than perhaps people in those other two classes who did feel the urgency as much? I felt um, both. I felt that isolation and sense of displacement. At the same time, um, I'm not a person who is afraid to be able to speak to other people and um, be able to explain my position like if I can't understand something they're saying then you know I I say I don't understand Uh, so I was very much involved in the high school because there was all these opportunities to get involved but at the same time I didn't feel quite uh, understood by people and I didn't feel that sense of um acceptance in a way that people treated me like I was one of theirs, uh, w- one of them. And so in that way, and I don't think that was intentional. I, I just think that maybe was not uh, in their realm of thinking that someone like myself may needed that little more initiative from them to feel included rather than for me to push myself uh, 
into a group and say, hey, you know, can I be part of, you know, what you're doing? Uh, because I think uh, in Asian culture, we're more kind of respected. We tend to be more, you know, a little more reserved and not push ourselves out there unless we feel that invitation. And so, you know, sometimes um, those kind of factors made me feel very isolated, even though I was very much involved. Well, for what it's worth, uh, that's the the most I I felt that I can share in the experience that you've had. Like that's just such a human experience. I think yes. that I've absolutely felt that way, right? In in, in my own uh, in my own life, and so you know that that's a very common experience. I think you know played itself out very differently, but yeah. that just wanting to feel like like you belong and kind of working up the courage to reach out and 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 and, and to find those connections exactly yeah. because those differences are not just cultural yeah. you know it comes from all kinds of differences that we have as human beings and i also if i can be a little autograph uh, a little autobiographical myself as mm-hmm. i'm a person of faith and american culture is very individual based yes not as community based yes. but you do get a welcome break from that on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings, those of you that go to church several mm-hmm. times a week, because church, uh, t- uh, many, actually, I should be, I should qualify here, there are many churches in America that continue to embrace the individualism that makes America, America. Do you feel that that is, uh, for at least Asian communities, do you feel, when you see our individualism, does it take you back? Do you? see it from our perspective how do you react to that um i do see it from that uh that perspective because i think that a sense of individualism does propel um americans to be uh, more uh, independent and uh, maybe uh, take initiatives 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 to be creative and inventive, uh, but I feel like uh, coming from that perspective of, like you said, faith, because uh, after coming to America, I have embraced that faith as well. Uh, growing up, uh, my family didn't have any kind of faith background, and I was exposed to faith early on after I came to the United States, and I embraced that. Um, so. I would say for those of us who consider ourselves to be in that faith community, um, you know, we need to go beyond uh, thinking uh, of individual to that community sense and uh, caring for others and giving uh, for the, you know, the good of uh, that would benefit everyone instead of just me, you know, that type of. Um, mindset. So something we like to ask our guests to kind of get to know them and to give them an opportunity to, to share a little more. Um, who is someone that you look up to, possibly a hero? The person that comes to mind as someone who I admire and having uh, as someone who has a courage, incredible amount of courage uh, to stand up in the uh, face of huge obstacles is a young woman, Malala of um, Pakistan. Absolutely. Who, uh, Yusafzai. 
is her last name. Yes, yeah. I don't ask me to yeah. pronounce that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, her story and just what she have uh, accomplished in you know in the face of obstacles and it's just amazing. And so, someone like that, I you know I admire. I haven't, she, I haven't read, but I saw she's written uh, I Am Malala, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and mm-hmm. she has a, a documentary out that I yes. have not I have not seen it. Just basically documenting um, the day her daily life. And she is a personal hero of, of mine as well. Yeah. Just to anybody who might not be familiar with her, learn about her, please. She's amazing. But yes. this is somebody who, as a teenage girl, advocated for... Uh, women's rights and women, just education. female education, education. Edu- just education, yeah. and was shot uh, in the face yeah. by somebody from the Taliban. She yes. fully recovered and now is one of the leading voices. At all right, now we're up and running. My apologies. She is. Uh, uh, I, I just wanted to speak up and say that she was a personal hero of mine. I do wonder what her future can be. We seem to be in a place where <clears throat> the last. The second half of the 20th century was about expanding rights and expanding freedom, expanding democracy. Even the first part of the 21st century was that way. It feels like the last decade, or at least the last few years, has been actually trending in the opposite direction. And it makes it real hard for us to have seen these global trends and national trends. And, you know, how do you stem the tide some against that? And I think that's going to be a new area that um, we're all going to have to figure out as we live through it. I agree. And, you know, when you see that, it, it kind of disturbs you, you know, because you want, you want our world to be a better place for our future generation, not, you know, go backwards. And I was going to ask you, Andrew, when you were talking about the red, uh, you know, the change, uh, significant uh, change that are taking place, are you referring to the gun registration? Uh, I'm referring to, although we have seen a gun control bill pass out of the Senate just yesterday, I believe. Uh, today, the Supreme Court ruled that uh, there is no constitutionally protected uh, right to seek an abortion. So as a result, they are going to leave that up to normal political processes, as they often call it, which means the states will figure it out on a state-by-state basis, uh, or the national government will figure it out on a national basis. I see. So they came down today? That came down this morning. I rolled out of bed, and I was like, oh, hmm, okay, my world is completely upside down now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, in the, and the, by the way, that's something that we will have to navigate in real time, which sure. cuts to earlier my conversation with Jared. Um we have these beliefs. We should allow for family planning. No, we should ban abortion. Well, okay, but how does that, how do you implement that on a daily basis? Now, OTC has broad statements that we believe in this and we believe in that, and you have to be that person for OTC policies, just like some of the local people have to be like that on some of these grand pronouncements at the national level. So... Since we're getting into some more serious subjects, are you familiar with Gumby? Gumby? Mm-hmm. Not the too cu- much. The cultural the translation. Clay cartoon? He's a, like a little character. Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay, so you are. Are you familiar with Mr. Ed, the horse from the show in the late 50s, early 60s? I don't know. That so. talks? 
Okay, the premise, well, it, the premise it, is that the horse can talk. If you'll imagine with us, like I said, <laughs> we're, we're getting into serious topics now. Uh, if a talking horse fought a clay cartoon, who would win? This is a question we asked every single guest. Gumby versus Mr. Ed, who do you think would win and why? I have no idea. What does your gut <laughs> sorry to spring this on what you? Does your, what like does you your gut it. tell you? What does your gut say? A horse uh, that that can talk. He's also rode, rode a surfboard, wears shorts, and he fights a a uh, clay, uh, rather upbeat, happy character. I'm gonna say talking horse. I'm gonna say talking horse. And what what leads you to that conclusion? I'm not gonna come down on you too hard, as I'm Team Gumby. I'm not gonna come down on you too hard here, Oki, because of all you shared with us. Uh, but but what what is your inclination? What ticked you towards the horse? Inclination for the horse. I'm thinking that a talking horse would have a little more ability and mobility to make things happen. Hmm. Andrew has very, 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 very biased opinions about this. So let me give you a couple things to think about here. Okay. I know you're processing this in real time, so let me let me help you. We pro- really did spring the tough things. one on you. So, so uh, first of all, as far as we know, Gumby is indestructible. So first of all, there's no real way to destroy him. Except Jackie Harris presented the idea of yeah, boy, she has stuck a stick you, in my if spoke. If you heat with that it one. up, he'll he'll become fragile and you can break him. But I I don't know how the horse could manage to do that. Second of all, Gumby seems to have the ability to stretch indefinitely. Um, I don't know if he is allowed to call in additional helpers, but he also has a, a, a horse one himself. One. Just one on one. Okay, never mind. One it's one not one. like a, a <laughs> it's not like WrestleMania <laughs> where you could tag somebody in. One on one. All right. So on top of that. He has the ability to stretch indefinitely. He can, you really can't smash him or kill him, which is the number one thing you'd think a horse would do, right? You'd probably have to stomp on him, but that's not going to affect Gumby. Second of all, a third of all, third of all, uh, he can phase. As far as we know, he can go through objects. Mm. So I, there's a whole bunch of stuff here. I will say, as we've talked about this more and more, I'm starting to. Th- gravitate more towards stalemate these days because I don't know how Gumby will hurt Mr. I'm uh, starting to worry a little bit <laughs> because it sounds like you're spending way too much time on this. And poor Oki's never heard of either one Have, of these characters. Uh, presented with that new information, how do you feel, Oki? Well, it raised a question for me. Would people take Gumby seriously? Um, I don't know if you need somebody to take you seriously to win a fight. Oh, you mean like lull Mr. Ed, not by taking him seriously and then get him? You know, to influence. Oh, like he might have a, uh, his, uh, his ego, his pride is, right? He might, he might not, he not might feel good about himself. Oh, I see. Well, let's just say I need to look into Gumby and Mr. Ed a little more. Okay. Well, that's good. We record these answers. We submit them to the Library of Congress. So ah, you, <laughs> okay. I, but if you really, if you want to entertain yourself, watch just a little bit of Gumby yeah. or Mr. Ed on YouTube. They've got little clips. Okay. It yeah. will brighten your day at least. All right. Absolutely. And I just, I just wanted to lift things up there. Yeah, I know. We got into some real. I did not anticipate getting heart. Some conversations we are not going to solve today. No, but uh, uh, unfortunately, are. Uh, and I assume happening. there's not a, a right or wrong answer to no, that. No, there is not. Yeah. Andrew thinks there is. I do, yes. But he is more adamant. More importantly, I think that this is uh, all about shining a light into your strengths and weaknesses as a person. Ah. 
So it's hard for me to be too strict with you considering you're walking into this fresh, but you know, We'll have this next time I see you in the hallway. I'll I'll quiz you, and then at that point I'll start forming some judgments. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's there's a there, there's a reason I asked that and have for a long time. I'll tell you off air, but I can't give away my oh your, then it'll your secret. Ruin it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, so um, the reason we brought you on is uh, uh, Andrew actually told me um, uh, suggested you because he had heard that you are. Uh, into minimalism or considered a minimalist can talk to us a little bit about what minimalism is, what it means to you, why you value it. Probably it's different than what internet might uh, define that term. But uh, when I think of uh, being a minimalist, meaning like I think that we should consider you know how in America we are so consumed with materialism? Yeah. And and I, I see that that affects so much uh, waste and so much uh, just, you know, in my family, my, my uh, 30-something son uh, gets really upset with me if I don't, put things in a recycling, like if I put something in the trash that could be recycled. Uh, so when I think about being a minimalist, meaning like I think we should all care about our planet and try to take care of it uh, to last as long as it can. And also just because we have the plentiful resources, which we are finding out we don't have a plentiful uh, or uh, infinite amount of resources to just waste uh, that I think we should conserve as you know as much as and I guess maybe it has to do with my background like I grew up with not a lot of things so I can live uh, with you know less like I don't need all that stuff you know to uh, to live and so last few years I've been watching what's happening in you know just all over the world but in America as well like with people really downsizing like their homes uh, you know instead of having this 2,000 square foot homes they're you know uh, choosing to live in these tiny houses they're you know barely uh, just under 500 square foot and they can still live just fine you know with less and so uh, I guess my main thing is uh, if we can, if we can um, not so indulge in just wasting and and spending, because you know you've heard that America spends like uh, something like fifty percent of all resources the world has. Uh, that number I I cannot remember now exactly what number it was, but. Uh, you know, I think here in America, a lot of times we forget that just because we have plenty, that doesn't mean that people in other parts of the world have plenty. We know that they don't. And, um, and so it's just more in thinking about, hey, if we can live with a little less and sacrifice a little so maybe someone else can have, you know, what we have or, or be able to share, then 
I, I think that's a good thing. You're, you're reminding me of a headline I read on The Onion uh, a couple weeks back. It's a child entertained by five minutes. Uh, I'm sorry, a child entertained four or five minutes by plastic toy that will take 1,000 years to biodegrade. Uh, so the way we associate minimalism in pop culture is person living in the woods in a white box, barely any decor, uh, with just enough to get by to produce and cook food, you're. I think you're saying that's going off the deep end. Where you're saying it, you're you're looking to fight the excess on the other side, where, you know, it's you know it's it's not against anybody's moral code no. to have some decor that in, fulfills you no, in some way. No, not at all. But you don't need to jam pack your life full of um, knickknacks and. Uh, jam-pack your life full of a bunch of uh, excessive... How, how am I misphrasing this? How should I be saying it? No, I think what I'm saying is um, more like, hey, if we have a way to recycle things uh, so that we are not filling up the landfill hmm. with so much garbage, you know, uh, let's do that because uh, that all, it all costs. Uh, like cities are spending millions of dollars in trying to create more landfill to accommodate the trash. And so, you know, if you're able to recycle, uh, then th- that's a really good thing, you I, know? And we have a beautiful planet, not just in the United States, uh, with all the wonderful national parks and uh, beautiful places. You know, e- eventually, if you don't take care of uh, your, you know, the place that you live, then it's going to go, you know, it's going to get filled up with trash and other things that, that, you know, we, we want, I guess I care about our future generations and, you know, we want to preserve these beautiful places and take care of it. And so, uh, when I, when, uh, when I talk, when I think about minimalist, meaning like, Hey, if I get to a point where like, I, I don't, you know, it's just me living, I don't need 2,000 square foot house. You know, I move into a smaller, tiny house where which would be just as good. Uh, so that that is the mindset. And also it helps that I have some millen- uh, millennial children, you know, who's <laughs> heavily into like uh, recycling and other things, you know, that they, because, you know, you, you, uh, you know the millennials care about Recycling and you know they care about community involvement and and they're thinking in more in terms of uh, I think um, um, benefit and acceptance and you know I, I'm not trying to quote what the millennials are but I have read of these things and I have experience with having some children that are in that age and so that that's that's what I mean by millennials I I don't mean like you should go into country uh wood someplace yeah. and you know <laughs> live at minimal i don't think i can let's not call that out though that. jared is not far from doing that that is pretty close to what he's working uh, uh, we call it homesteading <laughs> um the, the tiny house thing too is interesting because it also kind of motivates you to spend your time outside yes right and and when you talk about this idea of you know uh, recycling and conservation i think conservation it's a, is a good word i think it's important to think about too just n- keeping natural spaces natural yes right and investing in like you said not only 
state parks, um, but just local land, especially here in the Ozarks, where we have just you know so much beautiful uh, habitat, right? And how yes. important that habitat is, and and just that to me, minimalism kind of is also that idea of thinking ahead, thinking about consequences and thinking about the long term, yes. and not that immediacy yes. that comes with just I want, I want, I want, I need, mm-hmm. right? Can I can I cut back to something you said a moment ago? Sure. You were talking about a landfill. Have you been to the landfill here in Greene County? Been to Green Green County Landfill, Jared? Oh, absolutely. And the worst part is the drive down there and just seeing all the trash along the roads because as things spill off the trucks and stuff like that. For for me, the kind of takes up way more space than just the landfill. The thing you would not anticipate when you get to the landfill are just the trucks and trucks and trucks of people that are hanging there. They wait for you to dump the stuff that you don't need anymore. They will rummage through it and they'll find what they need. Now, Godspeed, go for it if you're them. But there's got to be a more efficient way of doing this, a more efficient way of getting, you know, when you're done with goods and serve, when you're done with your goods and they end up in somebody else's hands, there's got to be a more efficient, better way for the planet and for our human dignity than I take it to a landfill and another person rummages and pulls it out of the filth, uh, filth the muck. Yeah. Yeah. So plastics you brought up especially to our not only a concern with, you know, we've got this huge island size bit of plastic in the ocean just floating there, but now we're finding they grind up into microplastics and those are pervasive now even in our own blood. In our body, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so crazy. Uh, for to, to set you up here, so for example, uh, in my house, we're, we're trying to cut back as much as we can on plastics. We do things like using jars and going to grocery stores where we can uh, get get dry goods that way, and also we've stopped using um, plastic tubs from washing uh, washing detergent. We use these like eco friendly strip things. Mm-hmm. What are what some tips or things that you may do differently, or that you think is a conscientious way to approach uh, uh, minimalism or just uh, good consumerism? I I do do try to do those things that you mentioned. Uh, I probably am not um, to the other extreme where you know I home make things so that I don't have to buy. Uh, I, I think a lot of times working, you know, you're, you're uh, working a full time job and and all the other responsibilities that come with you know owning a home and and having a having to care for your family member and things like that. Uh, probably limits your time, so mm-hmm. I'm not a fanatic uh, to a place, so I don't have a lot of tips, but all of those that you mentioned, uh, I think if we are able to do it to lessen the waste or lessen the uh, creating more waste, uh, you know, I think we should. Uh, it's just, uh, it's a it's a smart thing. Absolutely. Yeah. We've had a similar conversation in the past with Pat Peterson, <clears throat> an adjunct here. Uh, what subject? Composition. And uh, she uh, walked us through the values of um, open up your own space for gardening and uh, composting and how to convert some of your backyard into like a usable conductive, uh, I'm sorry, uh, something that contributes to the environment rather than something that takes the environment and uses it for your own personal good. So there's a little overlap in that concept as well. Sure. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I'm not at the level of where I would call myself fanatic. Um, but if I had my son have his way, he would probably turn the entire backyard into a 
uh, weed, wildflower mm-hmm. kind of uh, place where the there's a room for bees and butterflies and you know other um, uh, insects that pollinate our you know uh, things that we need. I think to you're unintentionally. I think you're unintentionally describing me as a fanatic. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we do have a rather large uh, uh, pollinator space, so I, I, I you, you should. I think it's a good fanatic, though. <laughs> so, uh, anything that you would like to leave us with? Anything you'd like? We'd like to give you just the chance to brag. Anything that, that that's happened uh, about the college, or, or that you've done the work you've done here that you just like people to know about. Rather than a, bla- a brag, I do I do have a um, really good team of uh, staff members that work with me in HR, and uh, they're very dedicated to their work, and uh, you know they genuinely care about you know uh, helping the college with you know what we need to do. Uh, so I I appreciate them greatly. I appreciate the faculty and staff uh, here because really. Uh, it it makes everyone doing their job to make things happen at OTC, right? It's not just certain people. Um, so I appreciate the mission of the college. What we, you know, that that whole thing about OTC care is not just a, a cliche. You know, we do care about students, and we want to make sure that our students have what they need to succeed. Uh, and in my line of work, I I kind of parallel that to. Uh, on the employee side, you know, I I want to, I, I want our employees to feel uh, that they are cared for and that they are valued, uh, just as we value students. So you, you know that uh, that is all of those things are important. If I could just say one thing, just having come from a different background of having having experienced, you know, that sense of feeling like you don't quite fit in or or you're not quite accepted or whatever. I, and that can go for many diverse uh, qualities and differences that we have as people. Uh, I want to remind everyone here at work that when you when you see someone, you know, I I have told my team that people are not one dimensional. You know, you see them at work, that's just the one side of them. You know, you they have a whole different uh, multiple dimensions of who they are outside of work you know they're you know moms and dads and sons and and uh, uh, they have and they have different interests and uh, you know different uh, things that they believe I, I mean there's a multiple aspects of who that person is so you know we need to remember not just when we look at someone at work uh, you know, as a coworkers or you know whoever that we come across, you know, not just to look at them in one in that one dimension, but know that you know this person has a whole different dimension to who they are, and uh, you know to always think of people uh, with that openness and 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 to have that uh, sense of value uh, for that person, and I I feel like if we did that. Uh, then we would have less conflicts and less um, issues, I think. Could we steal that for our podcast and just sure. turn that into our <laughs> sure. mission statement? Uh, just fantastic. So, uh, you know, 
minimalists in the home and maximalists in the heart, right? <laughs> I just a, what a fantastic way, way to put well it. Well said, very well said. Yeah, well, I'm I, your words. I'm I'm just uh, condensing. I think that's a fantastic way to end, end the podcast, and and we super appreciate your time here. Uh, we've learned so much about uh, your experience, your your journey here. Uh, the work you do for the college, uh, the amazing life that you've led, and these ideas about just thinking uh, thinking before we buy and, and, and how we spend our money and, and what that um, what that means for the environment. Uh, Andrew, uh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Now you do. Thank you so much. <laughs>